At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll go make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, put it all in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Rough first day of the year, Dow inching up 26 points, S&P sinking 0.57%, and then Nasdaq plunging 1.63%. Part of what I spy as a sector rotation. And while it could be tough, perhaps even brutal for some stocks, I think it will be temporary, the kind of thing that happens after a huge bull run like 2023. Now, today reminded me a lot of anomalous first days of the year that I've seen many times in my career. But this one especially, 1997. Uh, we were down at Disney World. The kids were out. They were real small then. And we were about to go on the It's a Small World After All ride for the fourth time. I was at the lone phone booth fighting parents and children who wanted to make urgent calls. And I was in full-on panic mode, screaming at the traders in my hedge fund office about the first day action. All the cyclicals, they were running like me. It was Armco Steel, Bethlehem Steel, Reynolds Metals, Phelps Dodge. And they were going crazy in the upside. And there I was stuck waiting for a boat to come by so we could slide in and sing. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. Naked, without a cyclical in the darn portfolio. I was missing everything. Unlike the canned small world, this was a real performance, the performance of a lifetime, and one without me in any sort of role. Just like today, when the snacks, Calanova, the Pop-Tarts Bowl, where dreams come true. The cereals, General Mills, Sweeties, Drug Stocks, J&J, forget the towel cases, and Merck, all scorching. Bye-bye. This time I was upstairs at the New York Stock Exchange, missing everything again, the performance of a lifetime. Although at least my travel trust owned the trusty Procter & Gamble Corporation. Now, it didn't take long but back in 1997 before the entire cyclical move collapsed. That first day move was doomed to report uh, doomed when once we started some of those weaker quarters, we got the numbers causing the whole move to reverse and then some. Hey, look, I'm not saying the food and drug stocks have definitely already peaked out here, but I do know that the first day of the year are tales of nothing. All you know is that some people believe the great runs and Magnificent Seven can't continue, at least for now. I actually agree. And others want to buy the beaten down pharma and food stocks. Eh, not so much. Welcome to the beginning of the year, folks where hope springs eternal for the Pfizer's and the Moderna's. It's time for the oils to have their day in the sun, and this is a moment where anything can happen. Maybe the end of the Fed rate hikes means buy stocks. Maybe an election year with an incumbent president means buy stocks. Maybe the momentum of the tape, nine straight up weeks, means buy stocks. Everything means buy stocks! And that is all I hear from everyone I bump into, talk to, and sit. Except in the end, we're actually talking about the performance of individual companies, people, because sooner or later, that too can have an impact on stock prices. Sure, stocks can change direction when the new year kicks off, but they rarely stay changed unless something else has happened beyond the turn of the calendar. So what should happen? According to my crystal ball, people will take profits in the best of the best, the ones that have defined this market 
Yes, the Magnificent Seven and Friends, as well as the richly valued software enterprise names. I think investors will use that cash to invest in companies that haven't gotten any respect for ages. And here I think the banks, somewhat the drugs, somewhat the foods. Why not? They've gotten too cheap versus the market's outsized winners, the mega cap stocks that roared when Wall Street was worried about a recession. Because something like generative AI can transcend the broader market. Certainly help the economy. But if the economy is actually coming back, you have many more sectors to choose from than just pricing tech. That's what I think happens. Now, what else? The big issue for 2024, like the big issue for 2023, is, unfortunately, what will the Fed do? Right now, people are placing bets all over the map, just like last year, where the bets were repeatedly wrong. The narrative will be simple. The Fed cuts too much, three, four cuts. That means it's worried about a recession. If it doesn't cut enough, that means it'll cause a recession. Somehow, all roads lead to the recession. Now, listen, this is the kind of nonsense that will drive the action of much of the year because portfolio managers run big pools of money based in almost entirely on what the Fed does or might do. I don't want you to be one of those people. Oh, they'll trade off of every tick of the 10-year and the 30-year treasury. Don't be one of those people. They'll trade off of every statement from the Fed, every comment from Jay Powell, the press conferences. They'll trade off of every utterance by anyone, any connect to the Fed, the governors, the presidents, you name it. Don't be one of those people. Me, I say to heck with these traders. I run a charitable trust currently dedicated to the proposition there are some companies that will do better than others in an environment where the Fed's no longer tightening. And historically, these are not the stocks that roar today. History says that after the Fed's done tightening, there's a sense of relief that allows all stocks to rally, especially the industrials. At the beginning of the year, there's a lot of repositioning by people who want to take profits from winners and buy beaten down losers. That usually continues until they see the next round of earnings. And then upon further review, they swap back into what was working in December, often at a lower level. They come back to these stocks at lower levels because they're uncertain about whether there'll be a recession or not. And last year's big winners are the stocks you buy when you're simply uncertain. The Mag 7. We expect that the artificial intelligence and enterprise software bubbles will be popped. But once those stocks come down to reasonable levels versus the traditional cyclicals, once again, they'll be bought. However, that only happens after a difficult interregnum where the crowd grows disillusioned with Jay Powell and the rest of the Federal Reserve. And I think we're faced with that in a couple of days. What should you do? I think you need to have a worldview. That's a belief in what's really going to happen, rather than getting caught up in endless debates over the Fed's next move. Right now, we have an economy that grows with some strength and some tapering inflation, and that should allow us to pay reasonable price earnings multiples for stocks. With this setup, Wall Street pays more for the banks and the industrials while paying less for the Magnificent Seven and the enterprise software place. I like the personal computer stocks that haven't run yet as an extension of AI. I also like the semiconductors inside of them. But that's a smaller universe of tech stocks that worked in 2023. How about pharma? Drug stocks often fare badly in election years. No thank you. Retail. I think they're finally getting their arms around the shoplifting problem, produce better returns, but Amazon looms. The oil's really difficult because we produce so much crude in this country that it's hard for prices to go higher and stay there. In the end, you need to find stocks that you can make your peace with because you believe in the companies behind them and you believe in what management can accomplish. As I tell CNBC Investing Club members every day where I, make some, I made some very big moves today, I think you'll be rewarded if you stick with stocks that are reasonably valued here, meaning not dramatically more expensive than the average member of the S&P 500 on a price earnings basis. I know, pedestrian way out. Expensive stocks get hurt while cheap stocks rally. Then they meet in the middle and the deck is reshuffled, give or take the endless Fed flop and chop. But the bottom line, that is how stocks can have a decent move. Not as much as last year, but a good return nonetheless. I think meaningfully better than what you get from cash. So wait patiently for the sell-off that I'm expecting and then do some buying. Tyler in California, Tyler. Hey, Big Blue, I'm from California. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Tyler. Good to talk to you. What's going on? All right, so I bought this stock in the low 80s on the 21st, 
And then on the 22nd, an inverse head and shoulders for them. So I started buying up. And today, the price, uh, the, the stock crossed the 200-day moving average. I'd like to know what you think of Moderna. Okay, I felt at the end of last year the Moderna was just too cheap, and I said that many times, and I believe in Stefan Bansell, and I can't believe it. The stock's finally getting its due. Maybe we're finally far enough away from the COVID hangover that people can see what I see, which is that this is a company with revolutionary technology. Joe in Indiana, Joe. Mr. Kramer, the Ayatollah Rock and Roller, the Duke of Wall Street. Sir, you've been talking a lot about parabolic stocks, and I think I have one by the horns. Help Chipotle. Wow. Um, Chipotle stock has been a rocket ship. I would like to think of it as not parabolic, given the fact it's been a lot of time going uh, between, say, 1800, 200, 1800, 2000, 2000. But if you feel that that is a parabolic move, I don't think so. But you should then you should trim some because it's been a tremendous winner. And I am against those who say don't take profits. I like to take profits. Let's go to Sam in Pennsylvania. Sam. Jim, boy, have I got an exciting one for you tonight. Okay. Listen. It is not every now and then that we see a trend as evident as what I am seeing with On Running. The company is just doing fantastic. I am a runner myself, and I have got to say they make a better shoe than Nike, and it's not just me. It is all of my college running friends. This shoe is the real deal. I look at their sales. I see growth at 74% in 2022. Uh, this looks to me, the valuation looks expensive. But this looks like it could be the next Lululemon, and I'm curious what you think. Uh, you know what? I got a pair of them for uh, for the holidays too. I was absolutely thrill- thrilled, and other people around the table also got them. And I am a believer in oil holdings. I find sometimes that I'm very lonely, but then there's Sam in Pennsylvania telling me he agrees with me. Oil holdings could be a big winner. Nike still has great mind share, though. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Joe. Thank you for taking my call. Of and course. on these, like today, I'm happy to be diversified so I don't take a big hit. I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. What's going on? Yes, with a reasonable P.E. and a high dividend, is it time to buy Kraft Heinz? Oh, uh, you know... Look, this stock was at 30. It's at 42 uh, for the high. It's at 38. It, it, it yields four. It does not have a lot of growth. I'm going to have to say no. I don't want to buy that stock. There's others with better growth, and those are the ones I want to buy. All right, everyone's got a prediction for how this year will go in the market. But I think your best bet to ensuring a strong return is to find stocks you believe in that are relatively valued compared to the S&P 500. So you're not buying anything too expensive, especially after the run we had in 2023. Reasonable process. It's what I feel. Man Money tonight. It's the first trading day of the year, so I'm looking back at the top five Dow performers for 2023 to see if I can get maybe make a little sense of what the new year could hold. Then, looking at the winners is just as important as analyzing the losers. You all missed my take on the bottom of the Dow. And is it time to start preparing for a pullback after 2023's late year run? I'm going to go off the charts with the legendary Larry Williams to find out, so stay with Kramer. Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. In life, we're often driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to find candidates isn't to search. It's to match with Indeed. Indeed's a matching and hiring platform used by over 300 million global monthly users, according to Indeed data. Need quality candidates fast? Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. And you'll connect with candidates in no time. And it's not just faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And here's the best part. Listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit, giving your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We will look back on 2023 as a remarkable year for the stock market, as it defied so many bearish shibboleths. Think about how many pros insisted that the inverted yield curve automatically meant we were doomed to recession. This rigid adherence to Wall Street orthodoxy, coupled with high short-term interest rates, put many investors on the fence when they should have been all in the stock market, plain and simple. What were the most obvious stocks to own? Well, the most glaring are the best performers in Dow Jones Industrial Average, if only because they're household names that anybody can get their head around. You want obvious? These are the masters of the obvious, starting with the top five. Stick around after the break for the bottom five. Let's get right to it. Last year, the number one performer in Dow was Salesforce with a 98% gain. And I know this one was gettable because we got it for the charitable trust. And I screened it from the rooftops for years on end. In fact, many of the top performers were investing club names. I'm not to brag, but lots of last year's top performers were longstanding holdings for the trust, either because we believed in management or the product or simply their ability to put up great numbers. And I'm proud of that. OK, I mean, I've made mistakes, but I'm proud of this. What made Salesforce a somewhat obvious get? Because CEO Mark Benioff sided with five activist firms, including Elliott Management, Starboard Value, and Value Act, agreeing that it was finally time to emphasize profits over revenue growth. Mark had been fantastic creating value for shareholders until November 2021, when all things software fell off a cliff. Salesforce plunged from 311 to 126 at its lows. It was tough to own through that period, but we persevered for the Chapel Trust simply because we believed Benioff would eventually declare a year of efficiency. Not unlike what Mark Zuckerberg did at Meta Platforms. 
However, we didn't count on how readily Benioff welcomed the more agitated investors, especially Elliott, which offers some incredibly constructive criticism. Now, look, you know I've become a huge fan of Elliott after discovering again and again that they do tons of quality homework, even as not many entrenched CEOs accept their conclusions. No executive wants some hedge fund coming in and telling them what to do, even when that hedge fund is right. Almost no one thought Benioff would embrace these so-called brigands, but he did the opposite and lean into their plans. Why would Salesforce easier spot than most winners? Because Benioff made it clear he was willing to make major changes to boost profitability. He put through big changes to the board of directors and issued multiple statements agreeing with critiques from activists like Elliott. He said they'd find a better, more rigorous way to sell their excellent products with fewer salespeople per account. Great gross margins would go way up, and it worked. Sales didn't go down. Profits went all the way higher. If only more executives embraced the rigorous presentations from these smart activist firms, we'd have a lot better stocks. All that said, I expect cloud stocks like Salesforce to get a little less love this year because the Fed engineered a soft landing. And that means more money's going to go rotate into the cyclicals that need an improving economy to put up great earnings and less from companies that do well without a strong economy. The second Dow success story is Intel, up 90%. It's about the relentless enthusiasm CEO Pat Gelsinger brought to a formerly downtrodden group of engineers. Gelsinger managed to bring his product line up to date, positioning the company for the return to PC uh, growth, which is terrific, and I believe in that. He also got Intel into the high-performance computing business uh, with some really great products and great alum. Is Intel back? All right, let's just say that it's more competitive versus AMD than it's been in a couple of years. And it doesn't have cell phone exposure, which was the anchor to leeward for many of the semiconductor stocks this year. Hey, you know what? Well done, Pat. Third best performer is another obvious pick, and it's Microsoft. Here's a company that embraced AI in a successful way. When they bought a big chunk of OpenAI, Sam Altman's company, you know them as the guys buying ChatGPT. With this expertise, Microsoft was able to commercialize AI by launching its Copilot product, bringing it to the market incredibly quickly. This was an instant success story, and it allowed Microsoft's legendary CFO, Amy Hood, to crow about the initial sales numbers. She's an extremely circumspect figure, known for, uh, known, I've known her for ages. So her enthusiasm for Copilot on his conference call and its reception helped fuel the stock's giant sprint right into the finish of 2023. It was just, this is just nothing but net here. However, if you own Microsoft and you've got a big gain here, again, it's time to trim. Bring the register and it's part of your position. Bulls make money. Bears make money. And hogs? Well, I'll tell you what happens to hogs. They get slaughtered. That's why I'm saying do not be greedy. It's okay. I'm blessing. I'm blessing some trimming here. The fourth best performer, Apple, was viewed with the usual skepticism for most of the year because Apple's shown very little revenue growth over the same period. The critics were out and forced against the greatest tech story of all time. This stock has a legion of haters, even though long term they keep getting it wrong. What are the haters missing? Hey, how could Apple rally 48% yet still be regarded as some sort of mediocre enterprise? Simple, the naysayers are looking at only one standard, the growth of the iPhone business, but they're ignoring the rapidly growing service revenue stream from people who buy from phone, buy those uh, phones. Although an analyst today issued a sell recommendation on Apple that included comments about suboptimal service revenue growth. Look, the bears also refuse to recognize Apple's future prospects are about a lot more than China. There are so many growth markets now. It's just that they're considered lesser developed countries like uh, Brazil, the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, Turkey, eventually India. The, the bears assume that these places will only ever produce a piecemeal group of customers. 
stock market again knows better. That said, Apple's now selling for nearly 29 times this year's earnings estimates. That's too high. It's hard for me to justify. Even as I tell you to own Apple, don't trade it. If you want to trim, trim. The rally's been so strong, it might not be sustainable for now. Again, you never want to be a pig, especially when the short-term party could be over for high multiple stocks coming into 2024. Finally, the fifth biggest winner in the Dow was Boeing, up almost 37%. I have fallen on my sword multiple times on this one. At the suggestion of my colleague David Faber, who zeroed in on how I could stick by a management team that seemingly couldn't shoot straight. Ultimately, I threw in the towel on Boeing for the Travel Trust when we should have been buying more. Hey, listen, I gave myself some credit here for the Magnificent Seven. I screwed up Boeing. Where did I go wrong? In the end, I fell prey to something pretty obvious. It didn't matter how long it took Boeing to fix its operational issues because we have a worldwide plane shortage and there are only two commercial aircraft companies on Earth. And that operate at least at no true scale. If you're an airline, you can't get away from them. Southwest Airlines complained about Boeing's shoddy track record on Squawk on the Street to me. And then they ordered 108 planes from Boeing because they, well, I don't know, they know our place to go. Do not get me wrong, Boeing's track record was truly terrible, hence why we did sell for the trust. But it wasn't bad enough for them to lose orders to Airbus, which is the only metric that matters. Lose some orders, but not the book. In the end, there was huge demand for planes thanks to relentless thirst for flying post-COVID for more than Airbus could build on its own. With Boeing, you had to focus on the big picture and ignore the details, even if they were real negative. It was tough to ignore. Here's the bottom line. Yes, the winners seem obvious. They always do by hindsight, but some just needed foresight to shine. And it didn't even take much foresight to identify the Dow's biggest success stories last year. They were right in front of you. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, you've heard about the best. Now let's do the rest. The dogs of the Dow from the year gone by reviewed next. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. I got that. You almost have to pity the five biggest losers in Dow Jones Industrial Average because so many of them have bizarre, extenuating circumstances. Let's start with the oddest of all, Walgreens Boots Alliance. In September, after just two and a half years on the job, CEO Roz Brewer left her position. The shock of her departure seemed highly related to the stock price, down 30% last year, because I think she was making some good decisions. Her headlong plunge into healthcare made a ton of sense, especially in a world where relentless competition from Amazon and nonstop shoplifting. The stock swiftly rebounded from 2020 to 26 after they brought in Tim Wentworth. He's a former honcho at Cigna 
who did an amazing job as CEO of Express Scripts, and he took over. I think the world of him, and I'm obviously not alone, otherwise Wolverine wouldn't have bounced like this. This is the Wentworth bounce right here. While drugstores seem like a dying industry, the collapse of Rite Aid, the third competitor in the group, could temporarily help Walgreens if it means that many of Rite Aid's stores ultimately get shut down. That would certainly give Walgreens a chance to continue its transition to healthcare. Plus, there's a belief that pilferage might actually be coming down, although who knows where that came from. The stock of CBS had a decent comeback, so it's not crazy to think the Walgreens could play catch up. Count me as a believer because Wentworth's a seasoned healthcare pro. I want to bet on him. Second worst performer, Chevron, because if you live by the oil sewer, boy, you're going to die by the oil sewer. As much as I respect CEO Mike Worth, and you know that, with the price, when the price of crude tumbles from the 90s to the 70s, there's not much you can do about it. America produces so much oil these days that even a war in the Middle East can't push up prices. If anything, I'm impressed that Chevron stock was only down 17% for the year. But with that oil coming back, this is a very tough one to own. The third and fourth biggest losers in the Dow are basically doppelgangers, Johnson & Johnson and 3M. They might not be the same business, but boy, they got the same problem. It's called litigation. J&J's been dogged by its inability to put these talc lawsuits to bed. Real difficult given that it's linked to asbestos. Asbestos is linked to cancer. 3M has been crushed by forever chemicals problems, also cancer, and its faulty earplugs that may have caused hearing loss and tinnitus for veterans. Both companies decided to spin off key divisions, too. J&J's over-the-counter healthcare business became Kenview, and 3M's preparing to spin out its wound care, information technology, and oral care filtration and, and purification divisions as Solventum. I'm not quite sure of the timing on that one, but I'm, you know, it's, I think it's certainly going to help 3M's balance sheet in the face of more litigation. J&J has tried mightily to put the tout cases to bed, offering an astounding $8.9 billion to settle them, but the amount was rejected. In no small part because of recent big wins by the plaintiff's bar against J&J. I know that a price must be paid when something like this happens, but now a court has certified a class action suit brought by shareholders against management for potentially fraudulent behavior leading up to the tout litigation. I don't know how bad it's going to be, but boy, you just don't need the attention, okay? One thing is for sure. While J&J stock was down 11% last year, it wasn't because of their product which are growing incredibly well. It's just the litigation. J&J's legal strategy has been a loser, and any hope of getting this case to the Supreme Court may not even matter, given that two conservative justices have recused themselves. Is there a way out for J&J? As I see it, they just got to pony up even more money. Not ideal. 3M, on the other hand, has demonstrated a willingness to pay through the nose to settle its cases. It shelled out $6 billion, settled the hearing loss claims from veterans who used their full earplugs, and agreed to settle hundreds of water damage claims related to Forever Chemicals for over $10 billion. There is zero clarity about whether this is the end of the Forever, Forever Chemicals issue, but I think that the big payout has mostly now been put behind them, which is why the stock could rebound from $85 back in October to 109 at the end of the year. Still, finished 2023 down 9%. Does the company have enough earnings power, X healthcare, to take the stock higher? Tough question, but I bet 3M can keep edging higher with these big-time lawsuits behind them. In fifth place, we got just a, a, a t- let's call it a tie. Coca-Cola down 7.4% and Nike off 7.2%. Coke's decline is really another anomaly. Their sales and earnings were very strong. Management, led by James Quincy, has done a solid job of growing the business worldwide. But KO got KO'd by two negatives, the GLP-1 weight loss drugs, which are expected to hurt Coca-Cola sales, and the end of recession worries, because this is a quintessential slowdown stock. Listen to me. I think the GOP-1 fears are wildly overblown, at least for Coca-Cola, because it, it is, in the end, a soft drink company without much exposure to fattening foods. Yes, okay, regular Coke has a ton of calories, but the diet versions don't, and there's no sign of decline in sales because of these drugs. 
By the way, if you really think these drugs are going to crush junk food, I got an idea. Maybe you go long Coke and short PepsiCo, which actually has a vulnerable snack business, Frito-Lay. That said, I think a great deal of the decline is simply because Wall Street now believes we're headed for a soft landing, and Coke is just not a soft landing stock. Nike's the toughest one to fathom because this is among the most beloved international consumer brands. But if the stock sells at nearly 30 times earnings, uh, which made its recent uh, shortfall hard to swallow, I don't know if I can get behind it. I'm always a believer in Nike's ability to bounce back and bounce back fast, though. However, when I see that the high multiple in the face of worries about shrinking sales in China, competition from other brands like Hoka from Deckers and New Balance, it makes me worry that a comeback might be a harder time. Uh, maybe not in the cards so quickly. Bottom line, each of these losers has a comeback path. With only J&J coming up short of what I can call a potential rebound candidate for 2024, thanks to the inability to put the talc litigation behind it. J&J, great company, real bad set of facts. Michael in Illinois, Michael. Oh, yeah, Mr. Kramer. Happy New Year to you and your staff. Yeah, stand right back at you. Thank you. I'm a first-time caller, but been watching your shows since you started Mad Money. And Whoa. thank you very much for everything you have done for us. Home uh, thank you, buddy. Thank you so much for those kind words. I appreciate it. It's great to talk to you, sir. Thank you. So back in September, I started a, to take a position in Hershey, but have been in a state of pain since. Is this the time to add, hold, or sell? And if sell, could you recommend a different food stock? Okay, now the stock is down so much that I think it now takes into account that there's been a cocoa cocoa shortage. That's that's what's really hurt the company. Uh, It only yields 2.5%. Let's just hold it. I don't, want, I don't advocate buying more. I don't advocate selling it. I think you hold this one. How about Ron in Kansas? Ron. Yeah, Jim, a longtime listener. Um, I'm kind of looking for a stock that's got a good uh, dividend and possible chance for gain to the upside. And I'm looking at Pfizer or Bristol Myers. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm looking at the same. I looked at Pfizer this morning. I was going over this with Jeff Marks and Ben Stoto. So oh, look at that. Pfizer with 5.6% yield. Bristol Myers with a little better than four. I have the fortunate uh, experience that I'm about to reveal that I'm going out to the J.P. Morgan conference to interview many a great drug company CEO. And both will be on. And my goal, Ron, is to try to be able to come up with answers for you about that very question. Chris from Rhode Island. Chris. Hey, what's going on, Jim? Ah, just hanging out. How about you? I'm, I'm pretty. I'm doing all right. I'm all right. So, what are we thinking? Uh, well, uh, my question for you, right, is uh, for Alibaba. Is that his 52-week low? Is it? Yeah. A, is it a? Is it a buy or? But you know, my my colleague David Faber today was talking about how there's been really no actual. Pro- uh, performance gains in this thing for as long as the eye can see. I am not going to get behind a Chinese stock that does not produce a good return. It's tough enough being behind any of the Chinese stocks. It's just too hard for me. And that's going to be my view probably for almost all of 2024. Look, people, aside from J&J, I think all these Dow members that underperformed last year have a real chance to bounce back in 2024. And if J&J didn't have any litigation, the stock will be up in 180. Much more mad money ahead. It's, it, it, it's a new year. So should investors treat this market like the one we had in 2023? I'm go off the charts with the bankable Larry Williams to see if the run can continue. Maybe it's time to take a little off the table. You know, I said that earlier. 
Then we made a big move for the Chapel Trust on our Magnificent Seven Holdings. I'll reveal what it is and why I think now may be the time to take a closer look at these names. Highly unusual position for me. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Phenomenal run in November and December. Is it time to get more cautious on the market now that we're in a new year with a new environment? If you think 2024 will end up looking very different from 2023, you need a whole new approach to the market. So how different are we talking? That's the big question right now, and it's why we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. He's that legendary technician and market historian. He's written over a dozen books, created a ton of proprietary technical indicators that are used all day here on the network. He's made a tremendous series of calls in the last few years, nailing the COVID bottom, then nailing the market-wide bottom in late October. He called for a huge rally beginning November, stupendous prediction based on cyclical analysis. Yep, Larry was very bullish in the fourth quarter, but now he says, now he says, Kramer, the party's just about over with the S&P 500 and the Dow being led down by some of the last year's biggest winners, mainly the Magnificent Seven and Friends, which are about to start rolling over, he says. Why? All right, first take a look at the weekly chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average Futures with the CFTC's commitment of traders data in red at the bottom. Every week, the CFTC releases a, a report tracking the net long or short positions for home gamers, money managers, and commercial hedgers across various futures. Williams likes to watch what the commercial hedgers are doing because, as he sees it, they've got the most skin in the game and the best understanding of what's going on. And he points out that in the recent weeks, the commercial hedgers have become aggressive sellers of the Dow futures. In fact, they're now net short. If you look at the prior moments when the commercials have gone from net long to net short, those are typically followed by declines in the stock market. So we can see this, and we do know that when we see this pattern, it's about to go that way. According to Williams, this is not necessarily a timing tool, but it's certainly a cause for concern. When he predicted the incredible rally last fall, that was a moment when commercial hedgers had their largest net long position in history. It paid to take your cue from them a few months ago. That's why he thinks this is a good moment to take some chips off the table. That's what we've been doing for the Chapel Trust with high multiple winners like the Magnificent Seven. More on that later. Remember, you don't have an actual profit until you ring the register, even if you only sell part of your position. Next, let's check out the E-mini S&P 500 March futures contract. That's a mouthful with Larry's true seasonal pattern that's in blue. This is how a given security tends to trade at a given point in the year based on its past behavior. Williams points out typically, well, we go sideways. Okay, we're going sideways at this time of year, and then we start to head lower around the middle of January, okay? This is very different than what the seasonal pattern was saying back in October, November, when Williams was incredibly bullish and nailed this great move. Now, Larry always looking for these historical patterns that can help us project where the market might be headed. For example, when you look at the action in the Dow in 2023, I I know this is going to sound a little different, but you've got to bear with me. It looks a heck of a lot like how the Dow traded last year. In 1952. All right, now, don't sniff, don't sneer, whatever. If you take a look at this 1952, check this out. It's absurd how closely they mirror each other. Um, it, it, come on, you got to admit that this is, it's, it, I mean, it's, I, if you didn't know any better, it's the same pattern, right? If that pattern holds up, what happens if you project it well, in, say, in the 1953? Well, you get a big sell-off. Doesn't mean we're doomed to repeat that history, but when you see a kind of pattern playing out like this, it's not encouraging, is it? Again, I can't explain why today's market would be mirroring the 
the early 50s. I mean, like, I, you know, the Truman into Eisenhower theory? I don't know. However, that's what it's been doing. Does it make any sense? Absolutely not. But the market doesn't always make sense. Of course, it's not just 1952. Larry spotted another pattern. This is the S&P 500 plotted against an average of its performance in 1952, 1955. Hmm, great year to be born. 1985 and 2014. Those are the four years where we found an 85% fit to what transpired in 2023. Again, look at this, okay? And after these years on average, we got nasty declines in the following January. Yet the rollover. Williams points out that when these patterns topped out in the past, right about this time of year, we typically declined in February. Again, doesn't mean it's absolutely going to happen again. But when you see so many historical analogs playing out the same way, you got to admit it's a bad sign. Given the strong correlation so far, he thinks we could see the pattern continue maybe for at least three months. Maybe most important, this market's losing its leaders. Now, what you're about to see is a little bit different and much more negative than what we've seen before. The big cap tech stocks you might refer to as Fang or the Magnificent Seven, are, he thinks, about to come under a lot of pressure. I think we'll see other groups take over as the Federal Reserve engineers at soft landing. But in the interim, when the leaders get executed, the home market does tend to take it on the chin. That's why Larry applied his technical tools on the FNGU. That's an ETF made up of 10 large cap tech stocks, including Metaver, you know, Meta Platforms, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google Alphabet. All last year, we heard about how these stocks were pushing the average to new highs, even as the rally broadened in the fourth quarter. However, FANG remains important. And after searching for historical patterns, Larry found that this ETF, this proxy for the group, tends to march to the beat of a 160-day cycle, which is in blue here. Yeah. All stocks that only go through a price cycle of up, down, up, down, back up. That's natural. Larry's methodology can identify the length of the current up cycle or down cycle, telling us how long a move is likely to last. With Fang, the dominant 160-day cycle says the leader of the pack is about to take a nasty hit. Now, obviously, this is far worse than every other chart that I've shown you. So this is what he thinks is going to happen to the dominant group last year that led the whole market. Larry also likes to watch what big institutional money managers are doing. Many technicians look at the on-balance volume line, which measures how much cash is being put to work on an up day or a down day. Larry created something similar back in 1969, the Williams Accumulation Distribution Line, which measures professional buying and selling. You can see it in red in this chart of the S&P Futures. Larry says you need to keep your eyes out for moments of divergence between the accumulation line and the actual price. When the S&P is making new highs, but this red line is not making new highs, that's called a bearish tell. That Unfortunately, this bearish divergence is exactly what we're seeing right now. As Larry sees it, this means that well-informed investors have been quietly leaving the building. By the way, this is the opposite of what we saw at the October bottom when the S&P made a new low, but the Williams Accumulation Distribution Line made a higher low. That bullish divergence, that's what that would be, clearly showed how money managers were starting to buy stocks hand over fist. Right now, we no longer have that on our side. Now, if anything, Larry says the current moment looks similar to June when the SP made a higher high, while the red line made a lower high. Okay, bearish divergence right there. Uh, pretty much soon, the whole market swooped. Yet another reason why he thinks you need to prepare yourself for a decline. In the end, Larry doesn't see this as the start of a bear market. That's really important. He thinks we're very much still in bull market mode. 
but in bull markets, you can have short-term pullbacks or even medium-term declines, which is what he's predicting right now. And we're just trying to make sure, by, by demonstrating this, that you know all the parameters. Bottom line, the charts interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that it's time to take something off the table because the rally's running out of steam. If you want more details on the 2024 forecast, I urge you to go to his website, IReallyTrade.com, which is pretty amazing. My view. I think some groups are certainly running out of steam, but there should be new groups taking their place. So trim some of your faves, like we did for the Chapel Trust. If you're a member of the club, you would see everything we did before we did it and get ready for a market-wide sell-off where you can put that cash to work at lower and better prices. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dance over the lightning round. Kramer's going to start with Ed in New Jersey. Ed. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Ed. First time caller, long time viewer. Excellent. Excellent. How can I help? Uh, given this company's diversification in foods and ice cream beauty and personal care, do you see Unilever as a good growth stock? How about we take the food out of it, then we go to about the GLP-1, and we buy long-standing investing club named Procter & Gamble. A little bit lower than yield, but that's okay. Let's go to Roger in Massachusetts. Roger. Happy New Year and booyah, Mr. Kramer. Well, happy New Year right back at you. I'm glad you're wishing me one. I'm coming right back. What's going on? First time, long time, and a founding investment club member. What's up? Thank you and all your staff for all you do for us home the gamers. Staff. My the question staff. involves Love. Yeah. LNG supplier Chenier Energy. I like Chenier. I think the way to play it, as I've been telling people, is you want to be in Chenier Energy, which is the the partners, the CQP type. You get an eight, you get eight percent yield, patient weight, CQP is the way to go. How about Laurelie in Idaho? Laurelie. Hey, hey there, Mr. Kramer. Um, I took quite a hit with FedEx. I'm thinking to move money out and move it into a company down in Texas. What's your thoughts on long term on Tidewater? Oh, man, it's moved too much. I mean, the rest of the group is down. That group, that thing is still too high. I say move on from Tidewater. I was looking at Halburn today. It seemed very interesting. How about we go to Raphael, New Jersey? Raphael! I am here, Kim. Yes! What's going on, my friend? My New Jersey friend? Uh, that's right. Yeah, I watch you every night, and I thank you for your advice. And Quite welcome. I hope you enjoyed the... Uh, Pain. If you need to brush up on your Spanish, I have a translation company and language services. Good for you, man. That's great. That's great. Very <laughs> much in need. How can I help? So uh, I'm sitting on the postal, a fairly big position, and I'm, uh, I was hoping for a better result after the uh, retail season of Christmas. Uh, is it a good long term? Well, it's great long term. I remember it had a very, very big year last year. Now, I will say, I, and I debated doing this for my travel trust, do I take a little bit of what I used to call a schnitzel, take a little bit of a Costco off the table? We didn't do it. I, I hope I don't regret that because I know that it can get hit. It has periodically gotten hit, and you have to have room to be able to buy more. That's been the nature of the beast, but we didn't 
We took, uh, we trimmed tech, not Costco, but I think you're in great shape. You just can't look at it every day. It won't work like that. I need to go to Dave in Virginia. Dave. U.S. Navy booyah to you, Jimbo. Oh, well, thank you for serving booyah right at you. cents on dividend. Trades at 19 times earnings. I'm a club member on every stock in the portfolio. Yes. Lessons of a Wall Street trader. It's my favorite book. Tell me about EPRT. That's nice. You're a really nice guy to say that stuff. It really means a lot to me. Okay, now, it really does. I mean, people don't realize it actually means a lot to me. Um, Okay, single-tenant properties I'm concerned about because I don't want to – I'm too worried about what single-tenant they own in retail. That said, I like letter O. That's the one I've investigated the most, uh, realty income. And that one, I've been behind, and it's been a nice run, and I'm going to stay with it. I need to go to John in Pennsylvania. John. Happy New Year, Mr. Kramer. Oh, same to you, John. Thanks for saying that. What's going on? Hey, I'm a club member. Been around for a little while. Well, you and Jeff did for me in 23. The special last four months was insane. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, yeah, if, you know, you know, I don't want to get you get a swole head, you get you get killed in this business. But thank you so yeah, much. I have for a question. I'm going to yeah. think outside the box, but I have a question. A few weeks okay. ago, a bunch of analysts had some very promising price targets for Biomea Fusion. What's your thoughts? All right. Now, this is the kind of thing you know, I know people are going to be surprised this, but I'm going to say you should buy it. I'll tell you why. This is a spec. And if you can put away enough money that it won't hurt you, if it goes to zero, then you do it because a lot of these are getting bids. And that's the way I look at it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. Coming up, Kramer's resolved to stay trim. For the portfolio, that is. How a rebalance can keep your holidays humming. Next. After weeks of soul-searching with the Investing Club team, we decided to trim, yes, trim, our magnificent seven positions after years of letting them run. We don't trade for the travel trust. We're not, we're not flippers. We're investors. But at a certain point, we run smack into the doctrine that bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs, well, hogs get slaves. We've been hogs in these mega-cap names, and it's quite unbecoming. I won't say we've had big gains in these stocks because these gains are all theoretical until you sell, which is exactly why I want to take some profits. There are many different ways to sell, though. These were what we call trims, not wholesale hatchet jobs where the stocks are booted to kingdom come. Chapel Trust continues to have substantial positions in the Magnificent Seven and Friends, but we wanted to raise some cash if only to leave room to buy them back at lower levels. Clearly, we weren't alone because the whole group got crushed today. The more important lesson, though, is the one I learned in 2000 when I couldn't sell shares in the recently IPO'd Street.com, which I had founded five years previous. And I couldn't sell because of an insider lockup that kept me watching during a sickening decline. I hesitate to use the Street.com in the same sentence as the Magnificent Seven. The money-losing site had come public with one of those ridiculous pops. Stock price at 19 opens in the 60s, which made no sense at all. I recall an article in the New York Observer with a line drawing showing me as a $300 million man pig. I never forgot it especially when the stock fell in mid-single digits and I was finally allowed to sell. No pig there. I viewed then, I vowed then, right then, that if I ever had a big gain on paper, I'd trim some stock just to avoid turning into another man pig. 
Today, I can officially say we are not pigs in the investing club. Again, we didn't blow out of these positions by any means. We just took a little rate off the table, raised some cash to a low teens percentage of the portfolio, which is high for us. Why? Because right now, I'm more interested in stocks that haven't had big runs, and I'm going to preserve gains, uh, runaway gains, frankly, that are hard to justify if you're thinking about greed. We always want to get big percentage gains, and in 2024, I believe those will be harder to come from from the Magnificent Seven, as opposed to other stocks that have been beaten down or left behind. It's not lost to me that these mega cap stocks peaked right around when the Federal Reserve indicated it might be done raising interest rates. Look at them. They're all flatlined. That makes sense, too. The Magnificent Seven began their ascent last spring when the banking crisis was at its nadir. Because they have amazing balance sheets and won't need to borrow money in an environment where others might struggle to get financing. Then they began to levitate when they delivered consistent earnings despite the aggressive nature of the Fed's rate hike cycle, and then they scored big with generative AI. Now that rate hikes are a thing of the past and credit isn't as tight as it was, it stands to reason that Magnificent 7 need a rest. That means they're probably going down, or maybe others will catch up with them, or maybe a little of both. Anyway, as investing club members know, I agonize over this kind of decision because it's driven purely by discipline. I'm not trying to single out any one company for stock-picking purgatory. I still love these companies, but I'm a big believer in the idea that while conviction is important, discipline always trumps conviction no matter what. Since I started trading professionally in 1982, 41 years ago, I can only think of a handful of occasions where that mantra has cost me more money. Make that 42. The calendar just changed. For, for more off, far more often, it saved me major from major losses. So I need you to remember this. If you have one takeaway from tonight's show, discipline trumps conviction. And right now, discipline says you might want to take something off the table if you own last year's biggest winners before that something turns out from a profit into a loss. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here at Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.